So, welcome back everybody to the Brubble Podcast, where we explore young voices and perspectives from in and around the Brussels bubble. And I'm your host, Simon. Every year, the Globsec think tank runs its annual Bratislava Forum, where pressing global issues with a focus on Eastern Europe are discussed as among some of the top world leaders. And this year, I, alongside some colleagues, had the honor to attend the Bratislava Forum as part of the Globsec Young Leader Forum program. Uh, which was super interesting. So, as any good, you know, industrious podcast host does, I grabbed some of these young leaders, and we're going to discuss a bit of the key themes and takeaways from this conference. And I think it's going to be a, a really interesting look at what we learned, how leadership looks nowadays, and, you know, what are the pressing global issues, especially with an eye on Ukraine. So, without much further ado, I'm joined by five guests today, including myself, which is a new podcast record. So, maybe we should go around this beautiful in-person and virtual table and introduce ourselves. Marius, you're smiling a lot. Would you like to begin? <laughs> yes, thank you, first of all, for having us here, uh, Simon. And uh, it's great to see you guys back after last week. Uh, my name is Marius Houwen. I'm from the Netherlands. I work at Microsoft European Government Affairs. Here I am a cybersecurity and digital diplomacy policy coordinator. And I am in this role for now uh, eight months, so still quite fresh. And uh, yeah, looking forward to this conversation. Yes, you look very leaderful, I suppose. Um, now that I've started this, I'm going to think of little s- things to describe each of you as leadership people. Anyways, Bart, you're up next. Who are you? Uh, hi, I'm Bart Kubiak, uh, calling in from Warsaw. I'm the head of Aspen Institute uh, in Poland. I'm also the chairman of the Academy of Civic Knowledge, an NGO that is uh, devoted to the reform of civil service and civic education in Poland. Mm, interesting. So you'd consider yourself a civic leader? Uh, yes, I, I think I'd say so, although I don't like the word leader. So uh, <laughs> uh, so you, you can call me that, Simon, but I don't think I, uh, I fully agree because I think we all should be leaders, so it should mm. be a distinguishable feature. And uh, I guess going around the table a bit further, Maria, do you consider yourself a leader? And if so, what do you do? Hello, maybe I should introduce myself first. Yes, yes, <laughs> My yes. name is Maria. I'm coming from North Macedonia. I'm working in the Prime Minister Cabinet. I'm responsible for the cooperation in the Southeast Europe and for the building process. And also, I'm doing my PhD in legal sciences. I'm also visiting PhD researcher in Germany and uh, Serbia. Uh, do I consider myself a leader? Yes, I consider myself a leader, but I consider yourself also a leader because if you weren't leaders, we wouldn't be a part of Globsec Young Leaders for. Very by the definition there, Maria. I like it. <laughs> As a former <laughs> philosophy bachelor myself, this is something I love to hear. Uh, speaking of other people who seem philosophical, Giuseppe, you were I, laughing because you knew it was coming to you. Well, of course, I'm the last one here, <laughs> but it's still great to be part of this uh, record-breaking podcast. Uh, Simon, thank you for inviting me. I'm Giuseppe. Uh, I'm Italian. Uh, as my accent betrays, I am in Brussels uh, currently working at NATO as policy advisor as part of the policy planning unit within the office of the secretary general. And as just like Maria, I also struggle to finish a PhD in international relations uh, in the UK at Oxford. So, yep, um, trying to do the two things, trying to pretend to be philosophical about it, but um, enjoying this and... Uh, I don't know if I consider myself a leader, but uh, I'll stick to the definition that Maria gave. Yeah, very good, very good. So we're all recently back from the Globsec Bratislava Forum. And initial thoughts, was it a good experience? It was fun. It was fun? Yes, yes. uh, For me, actually, uh, it was my first policy conference. 
in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm used to academic conferences, so uh, usually there the purpose is very different. You listen to academics talking about their own research and you try to give them feedback. This time we were talking about policy issues and we were hearing from people making those policies and we were less concerned with giving them feedback on how they are doing things, although, of course, the questions feedback into that. Uh, and it was more about discussing the issues generally, reconsidering the main theme, what the conversation is about, and uh, trying to understand if there are any solutions that we're missing or what, at what points that we should talk about. So in that sense, it was fun. It was interesting for me. Uh, I will note one similarity in terms of procedure with academic conferences. They are both equally chaotic in terms of program. (laughs) It was really hard to go to so many sessions. And this is not uh, a criticism of uh, the GILF, the Global Young Leaders Program. If anyone is listening, thank you to the organizers. I'm just saying that there are many things and especially many sessions happening at the same time. How come do they always happen at the same time? The ones (laughs) we're interested in always happen at the same time. So there's always something you're missing on. So this is something that I see as comparison, but yeah, it was very fun. Yeah. Yeah, Bart, what, what did you think? Did you miss a lot of things you wanted to attend? or? Yeah, these conferences, from my experience, are like, you know, good music festivals. You cannot be at the Kendrick Lamar concert and Arctic Monkeys at the same time, so you have to pick. And actually, uh, this is what it felt like. So it was a conference filled with superstars of the uh, global politics stage uh, and also public policy. So uh, I definitely enjoyed it. It wasn't my first. Uh, so I'm quite used to it. So I think it was pretty uh, well organized for what it uh, for, for what it was pretty intimate as well as uh, a good place for uh, young leaders as well because with like 1,000 1,200 people you can really get yourself integrated with the crowd. You can uh, you know uh, go forward and network with people, meet with them, get some inspiration. So uh, definitely a good for conference. I think I'll be back next year. Before we joined this conference as the GILF program, which they go around the table. Is that a good acronym or not? Just a yes or no? Sounds strange, but I like it. You like, okay. I, uh. I mean, you <laughs> should ask me this question in high school, let's say. <laughs> um, that's for sure. But, uh. Uh, but before we joined the GILF program, we were asked to record a little video on like global fragility and whether it, it, the world is more of a fragile place or not. But, but basically, Long story short, the main theme for the conference was global fragility. How well do you think that theme captured the conference? Any thoughts? Uh, Okay, I I can go a little bit to reflect what was said from you before starting my point of view from global fragility. I wanted to say that uh, maybe a lot of us here being part of this kind of event, but what made this event different from the other, from my perspective, are the people that were in this program. And I'm used to to be part of this kind of event because it's part of my job. But I I must emphasize here the extraordinary young leaders that I met because we had the privilege of interacting with an extraordinary group of individuals. The different uh, backgrounds, expertise, perspective, uh, the discussions inspired me to embrace diversity and inclusion in my own leadership journey. And while I was witnessing yours and other colleagues' exceptional qualities from firsthand, it reminded me of the power of collaboration and also the immense value of creating an inclusive space for all of us. And I also wanted to emphasize here regarding the global fragility that it's up to us. It's up to us how we are going to respond to global fragility. And also, as young leaders, we have a responsibility to create a future which is going to be bright for the future generations. We can't 
really rely on the seniors in this position because I think that we have also the responsibility to create a world where we can resist global fragility and somehow to find a way how to find the, and fight the upcoming challenges in, in this occasion. Yeah, I, I think that's a poetic way of wrapping it together. Were you as <laughs> optimistic or were you more pessimistic, Marius? <laughs> So maybe to, to hook in on, on, on the question you asked first is that I think one of the, the, the beauty of, of, of this combination between this young leadership forum and the conference is the fact that after every session, after every panel, you have the opportunity to debate this with different people from diverse backgrounds and coming from different regions in Europe. And being Western European myself, I, I, I found out that I have certain thoughts and certain understandings of certain topics that are very regionally defined, let's say. And through having these conversations, I, I got confronted with maybe my own biases in certain, um, in certain ways. And I think that was very enlightening and illuminating to, to, to have these conversations. So I think that judging the, 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 the conference itself, I think that the real benefit came out of these conversations that we had afterwards. And I think that really um, differentiated it from a normal conference, let's say. So that was for me really the additional benefit of, of this combination between this forum and, uh, and the conference. Regarding the theme of, of fragility, um, I think that the agenda captured fragility in the sense of, of the enormous amount of topics it covered. I mean, it went from cybersecurity to energy resilience to disinformation uh, to the traditional debates about uh, geopolitics. And in that sense, every uh, debate within the conference highlight the certain aspect of the realm that we are operating in today. Um, one of my criticisms on this would be is that it was still very Eurocentric. And I mean that when we speak about global fragility, you need to have a global audience, right? And you need to have, let's say, a uh, global representation when discussing this. And I think that talking about it was predominantly about European security and, and transatlantic relationship. And in that context, speaking about global fragility is still in line with, let's say, some very old traditional understandings about the world and about the positionality of Europe in that. that. So I think that maybe instead of speaking about global fragility, the better terminology of, of framing the thematic of this conference would be regional fragility. Hmm. What, what do you think of that, Bart? Because I, I kind of want to throw it to you because you're very Eastern European in your focus. I mean, you work with think tanks and, and organizations in Poland. Do you think that the focus on the fragility that we see nowadays, i.e. Ukraine, is a global fragility focus? Yeah, look, uh, I think, f first of all, I believe that Central Europe is one of the beating hearts of the geopolitical world right now. So this is definitely an area we have to focus on. So... Uh, uh, no wonder that such a big conference with uh, such great emphasis on security uh, happened here and not uh, not some not someplace else. Uh, someplace else. Uh, to what Marius has said, I do agree there wasn't enough of the global perspective during the conference, and especially right now with the uh, with the war in Ukraine, with the unprecedented aggression of uh, of Russia on on Ukraine, you have to still take into account what happens uh, what happens all over the globe. Because like if you forget about some key players out, out there that you know feel threatened right now, 
or feel feel neglected right now. You will lose the, the, the global perspective. Uh, with regards to what you said about Ukraine, I do believe it's the number one issue and it was presented as the number one issue currently in geopolitical affairs and, and rightfully so. This is the you know largest war in Europe we had after the uh, Second World War and it shouldn't go without saying that you know this is the, the number one uh, global issue. So to just reiterate, first, Central Europe is the beating heart uh, of the world right now, but we shouldn't forget about all the other people around us. They are still and can be our friends. Uh, and, and, and the third, like the top one issue for now, especially for, for conferences like that, should and still remain Ukraine. Yeah, I think that segues really nicely into what, I guess, the homework I gave you guys, which was like, what were the key takeaways you took away from this conference? And I think it'd be interesting to see whether that theme of Ukraine or global fragility or, or even the other things we've talked about so far are present in these themes. So, Giuseppe, what, what was your key takeaway so far from, from this Bratislava forum? Yeah. Um, so, first of all, one thing to segue uh, from the previous conversation. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly with many of the points that have been made. I agree with uh, Marius that this was indeed a Eurocentric conference, but I agree with Bart that this was justified because this was Central Eastern Europe's forum to speak to the world, and it's an area that has been neglected mm. objectively. So, and it is correct that if you want to talk about global fragility in twenty since twenty twenty two twenty twenty three, the central point of fragility is certainly uh, Eastern Europe. So it is correct. In, in the past, it was Europe thinking about fragility outside which remains and should not be forgotten. But now it is true that Eastern Europe is at the center of fragility. It is also at the center of resilience. And by the way, this is exactly one of the things that I brought back from the conference. I myself also am Western slash Southern European. I lived in Western Europe for five years now. And I agree that uh, there's a focus that, that is slightly different from the one of Central and Eastern Europe. I was surprised to see the extent to which that region is so active in preparing its own defense. Sort of, there was, there has been since 2022 this sort of a, I told you so moment that Central Eastern Europe has shown to the rest of Europe and uh, to other parts of the world. So it and the vitality that many of these countries, many of the populations have in, of course, starting with Ukraine, but all the other countries that uh, are around there that are showing to the fact that they are not just countries or populations that could be run over, that need help from outside, and that won't be doing things about themselves. They had, they really want to lead the conversation just like they are leading the policy. And it's not something that we should take for granted, and we should not, I know that potentially some circles this is seen as something that is dangerous, but it should not be something that holds us back. In fact, we should embrace this conversation with this population. I think the, the forum helped us a lot. Yeah. They gave a lot of voice to Ukraine. They gave a lot of voice to other countries around, and they combine it, I guess, if you wanted to go back to the global aspect, they combine it with a few voices from outside. I was very impressed without going into details because of the Chatham House rules, but I was impressed by the conversation with the head of the Central Tibetan Administration, for example, or by the panel that we had at uh, the Global Young Leaders Forum with representatives from the so-called Global South, which is, of course, uh, a concept that is confusing, but basically countries that are not Western Europe and North America, and they were providing, or even Eastern Europe, and they were providing different perspectives, and they are important. They need to be heard, and there were young leaders 
from those parts of the world as well, and that was very enriching. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good takeaway. I think we all kind of thought about that one as it went along. Picking up on where where you dropped off on more of the regional approaches to global security and fragility, using that term again. I was also interested, and I didn't suspect it, maybe it's because of my own blind, blind spots, but there was a lot of focus on, on the Balkan region especially. I don't know, Maria, did you have any takeaways with the Balkan region from the conference or, or any other ones? Uh, yes, thank you very much, Simon, for asking. Uh, this is actually my work. Uh, I don't know to, to which extent you're, you're aware of the Berlin process as an initiative that was started from Angela Merkel, but it's like fostering the Western Balkans towards the European Union. And this, there were a lot of panels that were dedicated to, to the Western Balkans, especially in this stage where we have the focus on Ukraine and the war, etc., and how the whole situation is impacting the, the Western Balkans. And um, on, on the takeaways, before going to, to conclude on the West Balkans, I want to emphasize a few takeaways. Uh, the first one is the takeaway that we can see it right now. The takeaway that we are implementing, having in mind that we are here together and uh, somehow reflecting on the forum. And this is the future and the base of our future collaboration, etc. And considering that I've been part of many events, I know that you can be a part of extraordinary events, etc., etc., but you're not always keeping in touch with all of the people, networking, etc., etc. I think that it emphasized also and is putting together the, also the, the two of the takeaways that I want to, to mention here, like uh, embracing diversity and inclusion. And I would mention here a takeaway uh, that I would name in like fostering collaborative leadership. I, w- I will uh, try to, to keep it short and to say that uh, we have a rapidly changing world. And I think that one of the most important takeaways from this uh, forum is the significance of embracing diversity and inclusion in leadership, considering that this is a leaders forum, first of all. And that's why I said at the beginning that I consider all of us a leaders. Also, I think that it highlighted the need for leaders to actively seek out diverse voices and also to bring fresh ideas, to bring innovative solutions and somehow to foster a sense of belonging within the organization and the communities. And lastly, I think that the forum highlighted the, the significance of fostering collaborative leadership. To my own personal opinion, I think that effective leaders today uh, understand the value of collaboration. And I think that they need to build strong networks, uh, cultivate their relationship, and engage in meaningful partnership to tackle the the interconnected challenges we face globally. Yeah, I think there's a fascinating perspective takeaway, and we're going to dive into that a little bit more as we wrap up this episode. Hopefully not yet, because I saw Marius, you threw your pen to paper for a second there. Did you have a thought that came for your mind? So... One, one quote during the event that, that, that stuck with me is that someone mentioned that the future of the West is for the first time being decided in the East. And if it's the first time or not, I let it up for debate. But I liked the... There are, there are two levels to this comment. First, you know, from a, from a European perspective, the future of, of Europe is being decided in the East, right? And from a more global perspective, you could say that the situation in Asia with the, the, the rise of China is also a very decisive 
um, development that will have an impact on how, how the future world will look like. And I have to agree with you, uh, Giuseppe, on, on, the, on the inspirational uh, speech, I could almost say, from, our, from the former president from Tibet. Because without going into too much detail, the examples that he gave really highlighted the value of listening to partners in the East about how to deal with China. I think that we in Europe, we, we tend to reinvent the wheel. We tend to think about solutions coming from our own perspective. Well, as what Central Europe and Eastern Europe are showing now is the fact that, you know, there were already countries that were already ready for this threat. They were already preparing and being more, becoming more resilient for what Russia could do potentially. And we in, in, in the West, if I can say it like that, have slacked. And we should have listened to our, to our colleagues in the East and we should, and in Central European uh, region. And the same goes for our partners in Asia. If we want to understand how chi China maneuvers and if we want to understand how China is, is, is trying to achieve its strategic aims, we have to listen to our partners in Asia and listen to their lessons learned throughout ages. Because it's not a new phenomenon. For us, it maybe is, and maybe it's not that long on our radar, but it's not new. And I think that what I took away from, from this conference is that we should be more open to having this conversation and be less um, inclined to only think about, about what we already know. So, yeah. yeah. Any reactions to that? It's very interesting. And of course, in, in all this, I will not follow the party line. I'm not speaking on behalf of NATO in, in any way. Um, but it's very true that there are connections that the security in one place is cannot be separated from security in other places and in other realms. We talked about many realms. First, let me stop in the sort of geopolitical area. It's not just about uh, learning from them about China, it's that they provide also, they, meaning partners in, the, in, in East Asia, in the Pacific, can provide solution or help for the conflict in Ukraine. They know how to deal with it. They do it. They, they're very, very keen on making these connections between the Indo-Pacific and Euro-Atlantic. And this is one thing. And we should also try to make the connections with other regions of the world that are not the Indo-Pacific and the Euro-Atlantic, or countries that we mentioned before, Global South, non-aligned countries that do not necessarily see the way that uh, the West sees, but have key, uh, they, they have repercussions, they suffer repercussions, whether it's a health or, global or food crisis, or other aspects which are related and are essential, because otherwise we end up falling into the same mistakes. And moving on to this, in impossibility to distinguish between theaters, I would move on to domains. Now, one area that was interesting to me and that was highlighted was the area that goes on to the area of cyber digital artificial intelligence, which is not an area that I'm an expert of, but I'm sitting with two people who are. Uh, so they can talk more about it, but they could see the connection between these many things. Of course, this goes beyond, talks about the limits of the geography and the fact that uh, threats are interconnected in a realm where 
position is less relevant. I'm not going to say irrelevant because, of course, there are there's a physical element to all this. But there is also, I think, an emphasis that was made at the forum, especially in the young leaders part, was this emphasis on the digital realm, on the especially in the realm of disinformation. It was very interesting to be in this session in which we talked about disinformation, but not just talked about it. We learned, and it's going to sound bad, we learned how to build our own fake news website. And this was very fun. Uh, it was basic. It was aimed at making us aware of how fake news are built, so we can catch them when they happen. We can recognize their patterns. But it was very. It, it was an interesting way of doing it. Hands on makes us compete against each other a little bit, and it was very interesting to really understand how. You know, this is a craft after many things, and if it works, it means that people are working hard behind it. And uh, we shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't let our guard down. We need to learn different ways of doing it, of, of countering it. So, yeah, uh, connections uh, mattered in, in this conference, uh, highlighted it. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you for what you said, Giuseppe. I think going back to what uh, Marius uh, also said, I think, uh, thank you from the uh, Central Europe, you know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> everybody is open to dialogue uh, and it's not a unilateral thing you know we also have to have some for us as Central Europeans as Eastern Europeans to uh, speak up to the world to inform the world to also shape the narrative uh, which is crucial the communication is crucial how you present yourself uh, how strong you shout basically is uh, gives you gives you the seat at the table and uh, sometimes you have to shout sometimes you have to ask uh, this time Hopefully, we're in the process of, uh, of, of asking. Uh, also, what I wanted to highlight is uh, younger generations, what we show, should have the seat at the table. Because what Giuseppe just highlighted is like we live in an extremely complicated world that is dominated by decades-long resentment and stuff like that. And uh, these young generations, the young people, are the ones who can actually break that uh, because they are new. Uh, to the issues. They're new with the fresh minds, with fresh ideas uh, that can actually help make breakthroughs. I'm not saying the younger generation will save the world or anything like that. It's a matter of cooperation and dialogue. But still recognizing that we are also a people that have lots of interesting things to say, uh, lots of fresh perspectives that can much more easily uh, make friends with uh, our potential partners wherever in the world is crucial. If we fail to do it, we'll end up in the world uh, that is cemented by, you know, decades-long uh, political alliances and characters that we've been seeing on TV for the past 30, 35 years or so. Like, the time for this changes now, the more for us like that, the better, the more opportunities for young people to, to speak up, the better. Uh, we, are, we are not that scary. Uh, we're also <laughs> we are we are we are young adults, so to say, and uh, you know we don't have to be over 35 or 40 in the world of public policy to say something meaningful, and I think we've proven that uh, with this group of magnificent people that we are essentially uh, the ones who can stand up, speak up, and say something with sense that will uh, that will generate commotion on the other side of the table, and it actually did many the times. Can I actually add one little thing on that briefly? Actually, I had a suggestion for next year Global Young Leaders Forum, GILF. Uh, I think they were great. Uh, they gave us the opportunity to moderate some session. Simon, you moderated a panel yourself. So this was one way of young people to be actively part of the conversation and not just uh, passive listeners. I think we should have young people in the panel. 
with the high-level speakers because at least we provide a different perspective. We might not be necessarily experts trained. I think there are many young experts uh, and uh, which are the forefront of methods or the forefront of research or the forefront mm-hmm. of policy, and but uh, they at least provide a different perspective that the older generation, the senior ones, may have missed. So that's an additional step forward for Globsec to include and involve young leaders even more. It was, it was mentioned during, during the session on disinformation, during the, the exercise that we did, is that the, the person leading this, he mentioned the value of having disruptors. Mm. And what he meant with disruptors is having young people in a room of seniors asking the questions that maybe the seniors don't dare to ask anymore due to the fact that they are representing their organization to their fullest capability, right? And I thought it a super interesting concept, and I think it aligns with what you're saying here, is that having young voices participating in these conversations can also shed light on things that might are perceived as being easy or logical, but they're actually not. And I think that a lot of solutions are actually here, right? The things that we tend to oversee due to the fact that we think that we all understand that we're talking about the same thing. Um, So sometimes asking for a definition can actually illuminate a situation and bring people together and talk about the same things instead of that they are talking across uh, and not really meeting each other in the middle. So I actually fully agree with what you're saying here. Um, I think that there's a lot of potential of including disruptors in, in, in these panels that are driven by uh, talking points. And I think that would really increase, as Maria was saying, the collaboration of a conference like this, right? Because I think this is one of the ways to really, you know, have those perspectives on a panel and then really change the dialogue to make people think about it a bit differently. Moving slightly away from our key takeaways, I did want to segue a little bit. Uh, if you've followed the podcast for a while, you know I've been, at least in some of my other episodes with some of my other friends, I've been a bit more hesitant to embrace the idea of the European political community. And one of my takeaways from this conference was, it's actually not a terrible idea. So uh, I, I stand corrected. Uh, apologies to Macron himself. Uh, so regardless, <laughs> moving a little bit further away, I, I just wanted to start wrapping up almost a little and, and returning to, I guess, what Maria brought up earlier too, and what we're talking about now is just what did we learn about leadership or even European or, or global leaders in this conference? Thank you, Simon. I, I think that the leadership is the core of this forum, but not only the core of this forum, the, the core of our everyday. I think that when we have a good leadership, that's impacting us in a good way. We are all doing better. Like, uh, we will. I will see your uh, points of view to the leadership, but according to my own personal opinion, as a takeaway, uh, according to the leadership, I can mention here the ethical and responsible leadership, first of all. Uh, I think that we are living in an era that is marked by, by scrutiny and transparency and leaders are expected to hold high ethical standards and demonstrate responsible leadership. That's how they're going to demonstrate uh, how we are going to make the difference between bad leadership and good leadership. This involves also making decisions that consider not only short-term gains, but also long-term sustainability. It is going to have a social impact. And uh, leaders need to be accountable, need to be transparent in their own action, and they must prioritize the well-being of their team, of their communities, and their societies. That's why they are called leaders. And also, I will mention here that uh, it's very important, the emotional intelligence of the leader. Because uh, emotional intelligence plays a crucial role in effective leadership today. 
leaders who possess high emotional intelligence can understand and emphasize. And you can inspire trust, you can inspire loyalty, you can inspire commitment among your team. I will say here also adaptive leadership. In today's world, leaders must possess the ability to adapt and to navigate through the complex situation. Traditional leadership approaches uh, were established like a frameworks in rigid hierarchies, and according to me, that is no longer effective. Leaders need to be agile, need to be open to new ideas, need to be willing to embrace change. I will conclude with uh, purpose-driven leadership, because when you're a purpose-driven leader, you can go beyond and focus on creating a meaningful impact. You can, you can lead by purpose, and you can motivate, and you can empower others, and also you can foster the sense of a shared mission and drive the sustainable growth and positive change in, in your environment. I think those are some good insights, and mentally I was mapping these characteristics to some good leaders I know in my mind. Um, anybody else had some reactions? I know, Bart, you want to say something? Uh, yeah, sure. As coming from uh, the organization that actually focuses on values-based leadership, I think I should say something. You should. You should. You really should. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I think I should mention the uh, the values-based leadership first. I think we uh, live in a much more complicated world than we used to before, and just being an expert is not enough. We must question ourselves why we do things. Uh, and I think like this conference has uh, made us question why we are in the places uh, like that, why, what responsibilities do we have, things like that. And I think these questions, I'm not saying like there are specific values you have to live by, everybody has their own different set of values, uh, but asking these questions why is much more important about uh, maybe even what to do. Uh, I think like to me, a good leader is a person that allows others to be leaders. And I think we did that pretty well in this conference. We allowed each other to be to be leaders, to be curious, uh, to, uh, to, 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 have, to have some space to, uh, uh, to develop. So, so I will say this, leadership is a lot about personality, about emotional intelligence that Maria, that Maria has said. I think we've, uh, we've witnessed that in some people that we've met. Uh, we've had some great experiences of, uh, of leaders, people who uh, treat everybody else as equal. Uh, for example, who, who are very open to uh, to everyone, people just you, you would like to be in 20 years' time. Uh, so again, like uh, thanks for the organizers of the Globsec Forum to bring in us closer to such people. You know, again, we all live by our own values, but inspirations are important. I think we get a good sense of uh, who is a good leader after this conference. Yeah, Giuseppe, Mario, any final short reflections on on leadership from this conference? I'll be short um, because. Our experts have already said most of it. I, I'll just <laughs> say that before the conference, I was asked by uh, Globsec to participate in a sort of format which is called About 100 Words. And it's a very short statement that experts give on a specific topic in about 100 words indeed. And I was asked a question about NATO's next Secretary General because this term is coming to an end. That They were asking, what characteristics do you think are most important for the Alliance's next Secretary General? And I basically listed a lot of criteria because uh, as it sounds, it, it's very complicated to be a leader, but the way that we were, that uh, Bart and uh, Maria mentioned, it's also that there's a lot of way in which one can be a leader. So in a sense, Saying it's complicated to be a leader is a negative thing, but in fact, the good thing is that you can be a leader in many ways. And one word that I would say is that it's 
also reflects what other people said is it comes from the bottom. I think it's mm. important to give credit to those who are not always at the front line or in the foreground, but they are working in the background silently. And I know many of them are potentially shy or potentially don't want to do many things in the spotlight, but they are essential for our well-being and they're essential for many of the things that we build. Mm. Well, we'll go back to the bottom, to the, to the humble Dutchman and, and give <laughs> his uh, final perspective on leadership, <laughs> if you have any. I think, well, in times of crisis and in times of change, I think that we, we, we touched upon different aspects, right, of, of what makes a good leader. But I think that it's very difficult to be perceived as a good leader in times of crisis and yeah. in times of change. So I think that although having these qualities will definitely make you a good leader, you know, being perceived as one is where it becomes challenging, I think. And one, one comment that was made during, during, during the conference was also that as a leader, you have to be uh, ready to be not liked. You have to be ready to be criticized and you have to be ready to be scrutinized all the time. And I think that, you know, withstanding these, these headwinds that you have to go through and you're in a role of in a leadership position, while still staying true to your, to your values and staying true to the vision that you have for the, the, for the country that you're leading or the organization that you're leading or the family that you're leading, is, I think, something that is um, the least selfish thing you can do. Um, yeah. And being able to take those hits and, and still being persistent, waking up every day and pushing forward is what, what at the end, define your leadership. But I do think that we are living in a period where with all the scrutiny that's going on, with the cameras always on you, with you walking over the street always getting captured by a camera, it's very difficult to, to be a leader when you're leading. But actually, afterwards, the real leadership will only show. Yeah, because that, I don't know why it reminds me of this, but this wasn't said at this forum, but somewhere else I heard once that comparing uh, Olaf Schultz and President Zelensky about their leadership styles, and they said that Schultz was a would be a great peacetime leader, but a terrible wartime leader, whereas Zelensky was a great wartime leader, but a terrible peacetime leader. And it's interesting that had me thinking about how crisis and external like influence or in external insight kind of shapes people's perspectives of leadership and what's even the expectations and even effectiveness of how someone can be a leader. But yeah. Exactly, and if I make, yeah, I make cool. one comment, is yeah. that, you know, as being young, being potential leaders, because being Dutch, <laughs> I, I, I have difficulties calling ourselves leaders, let's say, <laughs> uh, but being potential leaders, I think that we have to prepare ourselves for, for this. I think that we are not living in times where you can think about being a fashionable leader with all the positive effects that it will have. I think that we have to prepare ourselves for a difficult period mm-hmm. um, and also have to take into account what the consequences are for your family, for example. I mean, you are taking everyone in your environment with you um, and that the cost is, is in that moment quite high. Um, so I think that we speak a lot about resilience, but I think that future leaders need to be resilient on that psychological level and emotional level first before they all will be ready in future to, to tackle the challenge that we're faced with. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I feel like we need to wrap up a little bit here as, as we're quickly finishing up this podcast. But before we end up, I'd like to have a bit more of a sporadic question. Although this one is a bit less sporadic, but come on. What was your favorite part of the conference that wasn't the conference? I mean, the boat trip sounds easy to say, but oh, maybe it's a cheap point. shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Bart, you say, you go ahead. Think of no, 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 no. <laughs> 
I think I had quite a uh, good walks, a couple of good walks by the Danube River uh, with some with some great people, and it wasn't about like conferences and and and, and things like that. So uh, I think uh, what what this opportunity allows for was also to make some friends. Yeah, and uh, I think this is a distinguishable feature of conferences that you go to, thinking that you know, oh, have to network. Everybody has to have some value to your network and things like that. There are things beside it, and this conference. That's such more of a deeper answer than mine. Mine was I found a cool magnet, which I did, <laughs> because you know the the bridge thing they have on the river. It looks like a UFO, and I found a magnet yeah. which is, has that like wow. a UFO summoning some somebody up, and I was like, this is really cool. But uh, yeah, great. Oh. Anybody else had any great experiences that are maybe as poetic as Bart's? <laughs> I mentioned the trip, the boat uh, ride, which I guess it's important to yeah. mention. We had this uh, short cruise that uh, took us to a castle to the west of Bratislava on the Danube, which was uh, amazing, very, very fun. It was There was good food, there was good company. Um, I guess another thing is that I tried some of the local specialties in terms of liquor from Slovakia, and they were, you know... Uh, Central Eastern Europeans are famous for the liquor, and I confirmed that it was uh, pretty strong, <laughs> and proper. You know, there was a uh, good memory to cherish. Fair enough, fair but enough. But it was a memory. It was a memory, <laughs> yes. yes I for the spirit of, you know, cleaning myself, it was perfectly cl- A memory didn't go beyond just one drink, which was good. Fair enough. Should we wrap up here then? It's been great reconnecting with all of you fellow Gilfers of mine. Thank yes. you so much for having us. It was a great experience, great podcast, very relaxed one, I would say, to what I know. Yeah, I hope, I'm glad it was relaxed of five people here, so I'll see how the, the comments said that. But yeah, um, yeah till next time then, I, I'm doing another podcast hopefully soon. I had an idea or two, but we'll see when that comes out. Maybe another panel one later on this week to the loyal listeners, uh, the constant listener. Um, and yeah, till next time then, goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Ciao. Ciao. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.